Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 here this morning. And uh, we've been teaching on spiritual gifts. And uh, what are spiritual gifts? What are they? Well, spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. And as we've already seen, God has given certain gifts to those who use the word to help or equip, to mend all of us, including us elders, uh, so we can use our spiritual gifts as we minister to one another to help mature the body of Christ. And this week we're going to begin teaching out of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be here for quite a few weeks um, because this is the big section on spiritual gifts. Uh, we will work our way through chapter 12, 13, and 14, and it's in these three chapters that we find the most teaching on spiritual gifts. Anywhere else in Scripture, we find the largest listing of the spiritual gifts compared to the other passages, such as Ephesians, uh, Romans 12, and also uh, 1 Peter uh, 4. And we also find that it's in these three chapters that Paul has to correct the church's practices of spiritual gifts and how they were using them. Now, if you can get the big picture of the underlying theme here of uh, what Paul is trying to teach them out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is unity and how the, the gifts are supposed to be used to produce and provide unity for the church, um, you will see that Paul was not just giving us a field manual on how to use uh, spiritual gifts, but rather the purpose of the spiritual gifts, uh, which was supposed to be for unity, and how when the gifts are used correctly, then it will bring unity uh, within the body of Christ. And so we need to understand uh, what was happening in this church, why Paul what wrote what he wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Beware of false spirituality when using spiritual gifts. Beware of false spirituality when using spiritual gifts. So let's take note here a few things. First of all, let's look at our text, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, here, chapters 12 through 15 of 1 Corinthians are about true spirituality. And in particular, these chapters address the subject of spirituality in the context of spiritual gifts. I find it interesting that Paul begins his instruction on spiritual gifts by reminding these believers at Corinth what it means to be spiritual. In Jesus' day, he often clashed with the spiritual leaders on what it meant to be spiritual. The scribes and Pharisees measured spirituality on the basis of external appearances. 
Their problem, Jesus said, was judging on the basis of appearances rather than on the motives of men's hearts, is what he said in Luke 16, 14 through 18. When Jesus gave his sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus went through the Old Testament law and showed how true spirituality goes far beyond the letter of the law and really deals with the heart. If you've never read and studied it, I encourage you to do so. In short, Jesus turned the Jewish definition of spirituality inside out and the spiritual system of his day upside down. He upset it what everybody thought what true spirituality was. Even today in Christianity, Christians can't seem to agree on what true spirituality is. This is evidenced in how Christians divide themselves over differing definitions of spirituality. And if we are going to understand Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts, then we need to understand what the spirituality was at the church at Corinth. So what was the spirituality of the church at Corinth? Notice what he says here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. It's no wonder that Paul finds it necessary to address the subject of spirituality when he writes to the Corinthian saints. As Paul's words in verse 1 indicate, the Corinthians are really ignorant when it comes to the subject of spirituality. See it there? What does he say? I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant of this fact. The Corinthians, however, do not think they are ignorant. Quite the contrary. They believe they are spiritual. After all, they are a charismatic church, a church which possesses all the spiritual gifts, is what Paul begins to tell them about in uh, verse number 7. And whether you believe that certain gifts exist today or don't, this church had all the gifts. They were a charismatic church. And on top of that, because of this, Corinthian saints see themselves as spiritual and wise, while at the same time they saw themselves as superior to other Christians. And we see this in how they treated Paul and the other apostles. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 of how uh, Paul was being treated. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 4 verses uh, 6 through 10. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If, you, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And so Paul says that they were being treated in a, in a very unfair way of how the Corinthians were responding to Paul's teachings. And if that's not bad enough, some of those at Corinth actually dared to accuse Paul of being unspiritual. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. 
I now, Paul, I myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul says, when I show up, he says, you guys act like I'm not spiritual at all. That you guys are the super spiritual ones and I'm not spiritual. And so this is, this is the attitude that these Corinthian believers had uh, even towards uh, an apostle like Paul. The truth of the matter is just the opposite. It is the Corinthian saints who are unspiritual. Listen to what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For if you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And so what was the spirituality of the church at Corinth? Well, there was a divided church. We see that in verse number 10. They were dividing factions based upon whom the group followed as their leader. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. You know, they were, there was division within the church. Uh, we also see that they were proud and arrogant. Uh, we see that in the, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 3, 18 through 23, and also uh, 4, 6 through 10. We also see that they were soft on sin, especially sexual immorality. Uh, we see that in chapters 5 through 6 and also chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5, and also uh, verse number 10. They were proud that they embraced a man whose sin shocked the pagan Corinthians, as we saw in, uh, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And while some are engaged in sexual immorality, others are guilty of setting aside sex within marriage and thus setting themselves up for sin. Uh, they were depriving one another of uh, that, uh, that marital relationship. And so they were giving in and give, allowing for uh, sin to be a part of that. Some portray marriage uh, as an evil to be avoided and thus encouraged unbiblical divorces. Uh, in verse number 10 in chapter 7. And so there was a lot of problems with that. Also, they take their disputes before the court instead of the saints. We also see that some of them are practicing the heathen idol worship ceremonies in chapters 8 through 10. You see this in their practice of eating meat that was offered to idols, and those who casually engaged in heathen worship thought themselves spiritual and looked down on those who refrained from such involvement with idols as weak. We also see that some of the Corinthian women were casting aside the roles which God has assigned to men and women in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. And they did this because they thought they were spiritual. And also, many in the church are sick and have died, and we saw that in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34, as the fact that when they would come together for the Lord's table for communion, they were not waiting on one another. Uh, they were 
um, just kind of pushing their way through and, and not allowing everybody to, to take part in that. And Paul says because of that, many in the church are sick and have died because they didn't give reverence to the Lord's body. And so with all their claims of how spiritual this church was, looking at this list, does this seem like a very spiritual church to you? Nope. But what was their claim? We got the gifts, we got the gifts, na-na-na-na-na-na, right? That's how they were acting. And Paul writes to them and says, you guys are ignorant when it comes to spirituality. And so the problem was that these believers at Corinth thought they were spiritual because they had these spiritual gifts, but the fruit evidenced otherwise. They had a false spirituality. So let's look at the second thing here. Don't be deceived by false spirituality. Now you might be thinking, Mike, I thought we were talking about spiritual gifts, not spirituality. Yes, we are talking about spiritual gifts, and so was Paul. But there was a big problem, and there still is a big problem today. Spiritual gifts don't make you spiritual. Nor do they mean that you are being used in a true way. In other words, there is a difference between true spirituality and false spirituality in the context of spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not referring to salvation here. A person can be saved and yet do spiritual things that may or not be false. Likewise, an unbeliever can do spiritual things as well. We must understand that just because a person claims that they are part of God's family and can do spiritual things doesn't mean that it's true spirituality. These believers at Corinth believed they were spiritual and how they were using their gifts, but we know that they were producing a false spirituality. Does this mean that they were not saved? No. But it does mean that when using spiritual gifts the right way, they will produce a true spirituality. Let me try to help you understand what Paul was saying here. Let's examine this text again. Okay? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Remember, Paul is not congratulating these believers about their spirituality. He is writing to them, as he indicates in verse 1, to remedy their ignorance on the matter of spirituality. I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to be uninformed. So is Paul talking here about gifts or spirituality? It's obvious that Paul is talking about spiritual gifts because that's what he goes on uh, to talk about in the next three chapters. But the word gift, you see the word gifts there or gift, is not actually in verse number one. The word rendered spiritual gifts here is not the same word which is rendered gifts in verse number four. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. It's a different word. Well, what does that mean? Well, the word gifts is not in the original text. The word spirituals in verse 1 refers to the spiritual realm. The term spirituals can refer to spiritual people or spiritual things. So in the original language, when this text was translated from Greek to English, the translators put the word gifts in there to help us. 
And so actually, this, this, this verse reads this way. Now, concerning spirituals, in the plural, or spiritual things, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, your, your Bible may have the, the word gifts italicized. That means that it wasn't in the original uh, text. Or you might have a little footnote, and it says that uh, it talks about that it's not in the original text. And so this helps us understand some things. The term spirituals emphasizes the source of the spiritual gifts given to Christians. Spiritual gifts are not the benchmark of spirituality or of a status in the church, but rather are a way the body ministers to each other. And so the word gifts Paul uses here in verse 4 and the verses to follow in the word uh, is the word charisma. And it's used to emphasize the fact that gifts are manifestations of divine grace, sovereignly bestowed and not obtained on the basis of merits. That's what we've seen in our definition of spiritual gifts, right? And because of this, spiritual gifts are not the benchmark of spirituality. And Paul's trying to get them to understand this. You are ignorant when it comes to understanding what true spirituality is. You guys are doing all this stuff, but in reality, you just have a false spirituality. And so spirituality is related to spiritual gifts, but not in the way that these believers were using them. The Corinthians, as we'll see later in chapter 12, thought certain spiritual gifts are the evidence of superior spirituality. While the absence of these gifts is proof of spiritual inferiority. And this same type of behavior is still prevalent in many churches today, unfortunately. And so what Paul has to say in these introductory words obviously has to do with spiritual gifts in particular, but the principles he's laying down also have to do with people who claim to be spirit-led or with movements or activities that claim to be of the Holy Spirit, right? That's why I usually have red flags when people, you know, say things, you know, oh, the Holy Spirit, you know, and I'm just like, okay, well, let's, let's examine the evidence, right? Let's not just accept it, let's examine it and see if it really is true spirituality. So it's pretty obvious that if these believers were being led astray by false spirituality, what's to say that pe today people still can't be led away by false spirituality, we need to be informed and not be ignorant. And so Paul has a great deal to say about the relationship between spirituality and spiritual gifts, and he begins by making sure his readers recognize there are two kinds of spirituality. So how will we know the difference? How will we know between true and false? How are we going to know if this is true spirituality or false spirituality? Notice what he says here. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. And so Paul wrote for them not to be ignorant. We can know the difference between true and the false spirituality by knowing the origin of it. 
Paul reminds these believers in Corinth who think they are so spiritual that not all long ago they were spiritual by means of demonic spirits. That was their past. That's how they lived their life. They were pagans. They did pagan-type practices. And it was all spiritual. He says, but now they've been made one with the people of God. They are brought into a full relationship with God the Father by faith in the blood of Jesus, his son. But back in those days, they used to worship pagan idols. They had all kinds of false forms of spirituality. And there really was an evil kind of spirituality involved in it all because they were all being led astray by the devil. And so in their minds now, they are spiritual, but not so long ago, they were pagans. And in that pagan state, they were spirit-led, right? They were led by the spirits, but it was not the Holy Spirit. It was a false spirituality. Notice what he says here. It says, they were led astray to the dumb idols. Dumb idols. Your translation may read mute idols, okay? Dumb idols, mute idols. They were led astray, led to idols, and those idols were mute or dumb. Over and over again, the Old Testament prophets emphasize that idols are lifeless and speechless. But however, God is eternal, immortal, the creator and the sustainer of all life. And he is the God who speaks and whose words are certain to accomplish his purposes. Here's some verses for your consideration for further study. I'm not going to read these, but you can look them up if you want to. Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. And Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. The idols are dumb and they cannot and do not speak, but this does not mean that the demons are speechless that there is not inspired utterance in pagan or false religion. The scriptures make it clear that the demons which lead men astray to the dumb idols are also those spirits who inspire speech, who solicits them to engage in false and idolatrous worship. The demons inspire false religious worship. Some verses for you that you can look up for yourself for their study. Leviticus 17.7, Deuteronomy 32.17, Psalm 106, verse 37, and also in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 22. And so these demons not only inspire false religion, they also are employed also in corrupting true religion, as we see in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, 2 Corinthians 12 through 15, and also 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And so from what we learn from all of this is that false spirituality originates from the unclean spirits and thus ultimately from Satan himself. It comes directly from that source. And just because you know Christ as your Savior doesn't mean that you can be led astray by false spirituality and false teaching and false spiritual things. It can still happen. That's why you got to be on guard. That's why you got to test everything to whether see if it is from the Spirit of God or not. We also find that true spirituality originates from the Holy Spirit of God. And here's a couple ways that we can know if it is true spirituality as in the context of how 
these believers were not using the gifts correctly. Does not judge one's spiritual status on the basis of the gift or gifts one has been given. You see, these believers here at Corinth, they were being led astray by false spirituality, and we know that they were because they were judging others on the basis of their spiritual status on the gift or gifts that they had been given. We also see that true spirituality does not use the spiritual gifts to draw attention to themselves or lift themselves up, but rather uses them sacrificially to the edification of others. So here's Paul speaking to the first Corinthian charismatic church, and he makes these two points in these three verses. False spirituality is inspired by false demonic spirits which they experienced as pagans. But then also, true Christian spirituality is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And as we read on the chapters that follow, it seems that what was happening was this. These Corinthian Christians, now redeemed by the blood of Jesus and now delivered from the devil's grasp, were recipients now of the blessed spiritual gifts of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But they were treating these spiritual realities and trying to use these spiritual gifts in a way that they were very much like what they used to do when they worshiped mute idols. They were allowing themselves to be taken over by frenzied ecstasies. You'll find it's really interesting in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul writes about uh, those that are speaking and he says becoming like a, like a, uh, a clanging symbol, right? Um, the, these were actual practices that they used to use. I mean, they, they would almost use symbols in their worship, and I'm not saying that we can't use symbols in our worship, but they would use symbols in their worship and they would be beating on them so loudly to put themselves into some kind of ecstasy, spiritual ecstasy. Like, look how spiritual I am, right? And so they would do this kind of stuff and they would try to tap into spiritual power and they have involved themselves in the pagan spirit power of the, fa of the past. Believe it or not, this is something that still happens today in churches. There are churches that have opened themselves up to new age practices, have invited false spirituality, all in the name of the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit! How do you know that that's the Holy Spirit? I just know it is! You don't know that for sure. This is why we got to be oh so careful with stuff like this. Don't be ignorant, Paul says. Just because a church, a ministry, a spiritual leader says or does things that are spiritual, that doesn't mean that it is true. They could be using false spirituality to lead you astray to demonic influences and false doctrine. So with us learning about what God's word teaches about the spiritual gifts, we need to be aware of the false versions of spirituality. We need to put things to the test and not simply embrace things because they are simply claimed to be of the Holy Spirit or because they make us 
feel spiritual. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many, not just some, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so if we recklessly embrace false spiritualities, we, can, we can't gain the benefit of the real thing. So then how do we test spiritual things to know if they are truly from the Holy Spirit? Not only spiritual gifts, but all spiritual things. Paul goes on in verse 3 to teach us to do this. What does he tell us to do? Test things by what is said about Jesus. Test things by what is said about Jesus. Now, verse 3 is necessary in the light of verses 1 and 2 because the Corinthians are are naive, they're ignorant, they're uninformed. And Paul says, I want to help you understand what true spirituality is. And so Paul must make known to them a test by which the Holy Spirit is distinguished from all other spirits. This is not a test to find out who is a Christian and who is not a Christian because, for example, look at verse number 3. Therefore, I want you to to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is accursed. Jesus is Lord. I just said those those two phrases. We could have an unbeliever stand up here and say Jesus is Lord. He's not talking about this is a test to find out who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. Remember, what is he talking about? He's talking about true spirituality and within the context of the gifts, how they were being used within the church. And so Paul's emphasis here is on speech, not just any speech, but speech made under the controlling influence of a spirit. Now, it's important to notice that Paul's emphasis here, he's already referred to the idols of the Corinthians past as dumb idols, right, in verse 2. But now he's speaking about speech, the speech of worshipers. Ordinary speech is not primarily just, just talking. We're just not talking about just speech here, right? We're talking here about inspired utterance, speech made under the controlling influence of a spirit. This is specifically indicated in the case of the one who speaks by or in the Spirit of God. Notice what he says there. No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. In other words, it is the Spirit of God speaking through a person who is incapable of saying Jesus is accursed. On the other hand, I believe Paul says that a person speaking under demonic control is incapable of saying, Jesus is Lord. Nowhere in the Gospels does a demon-possessed person say this. The demons reluctantly acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God or the Holy One of God, but not that He is Lord. Even when commanded to come out of a possessed person, The demons seem to resist and rebel to the very last moment. If you want to study that, I'll point you to Mark uh, 1, 23 through 26 for consideration. But let me give you just a little sidetrack here for just a moment about saying Jesus is Lord. 
In Matthew 7, 22, our Lord tells us of men who acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and yet that person still is told to depart into everlasting fire because Jesus said that he never knew them. Is everyone who mouths the words, Jesus is Lord, possessed by the Spirit of God? No. Even a Christian can mouth the words, Jesus is anathema, but they cannot do so in the Spirit of God, speaking by the Spirit of God. So too, a person could say, Jesus is Lord, but not when possessed by a demonic spirit who is speaking through them. And so in Matthew 7, you have to really look at the the, the circumstances, what Jesus is talking about when, when they say, uh, Lord, Lord, have we not done this, 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 this? I mean, they're calling Jesus Lord, right? Is that person a believer? No. Even though they said Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Jesus is not talking about a profession which men make today. The words Lord, Lord are spoken to our Lord and they are spoken in that day. If you look at the text, in that day, people will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done? What day is he talking about? Judgment day. He's talking about judgment day when they will stand before the God Almighty of the universe and they will give an account, the books will be opened and they will be judged according to those things written therein. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these wonderful things? Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? And what will he say? Depart from me, you cursed work of iniquity. I never knew you. And let me ask you a question. If you are standing before God Almighty on the day of judgment, are you not going to call him Lord? Yeah, you will. It says that every knee and every uh, tongue will, will confess, that our knees will bow and our tongues will confess that he is God, that he is Lord. And so when we talk about this, it's not talking about one who is saved or one who's not saved. He's talking about the speech that comes from a person who says that they are being controlled by the spirit or a spirit. And so those who are led by the spirit of God will profess Jesus as Lord and they will be led to intimacy with God, not away from him by deceit. And so Paul gives this test here to try to help us understand that these people were confessing, they were, they were saying things, but it was false spirituality. And this is, this is how we can understand this, right? This is the test. What do they say about Jesus? And this is not just a one-time thing, because if you, look at the, if you look at the text and the verbs that Paul uses... This is not a one-time action. This is ongoing action. It means there's a reputation from that person's life. And so here's a person that says that they're spiritual and they're going to proclaim things that are spiritual. And he says, well, what is the test? What do they say about Jesus? What is the continual saying? What is the ongoing things that they're saying about Jesus? Does his life match up with what he says? Is he living it out? Is he actually being an example of that? Or is it just, hey, blah, 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 right? And he just says things. And so this is the test that we can to find out if this person really is speaking the things from the Spirit of God. It's ongoing. Does what he say line up with what Scripture says? 
Or is there inconsistencies there? Does he paint Jesus as a different type of thing, right? Or is he exalting Jesus as exactly how the scriptures reveal him? Is he trying to lead people astray? This is why we got to be so careful and not just believe every spirit, right? We got to have a test, and so we can test things by what is said about Jesus. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.